You're listening to Flipping the Barrel Podcast, a women's perspective in oil and gas. We are your hosts, Macy and Jamie. And our mission here is simple, to bring you the untold stories of this industry. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another podcast. Thank you again for tuning in and supporting our movement. Today's episode is really dear to my heart because we get to interview, finally, Céline Gerson, who is a lady that I met last year here at the Sugarland office. And from the moment that I met her, I was inspired. Just within our you know, five, 10-minute conversation, I knew I had to talk more with her because she was just a different kind of light you know, coming in with her personality and just how enthusiastic she was. And also, what really spoke to me is that she is high level and I'm not. And she still took, you know, 20, 30 minutes out of her day and spoke to me as a friend, which you don't see every day. And that really like touched me. So I'm so happy to finally have you on. And guys, this is going to be a very good episode. I'm so excited as well. And I'd like to start out with support of our sponsor, PISA. So just to give you all a little bit of background on PISA, PISA is a proud supporter of Flipping the Barrel as the National Trade Association for the oil field services and equipment sector. PISA represents nearly 700,000 jobs in the technology-driven energy value chain, advancing OFS, which OFS, if you do not know, is oil field service companies, policies, priorities, and providing targeted workforce development for the OFS sector in the areas of technology, ESG, inclusion, equality, and diversity. PISA established the sector's first inclusion and diversity business champion certificate program, which equips participants with tools to develop and implement inclusive cultures within their companies. You can learn more about PISA and its works on behalf of the OFS sector by visiting PISA.org, or also you can go to our website, and click on the PISA button there at the, at the bottom of the networking page, and you'll be able to learn more about them. So everybody, a little background on Celine before we jump into her episode. She was recently appointed as Vice President and Director of Global Account for BP here in Houston. Prior to that, she was the President of Schlumberger Canada Limited, where she was responsible for the oversight and strategic growth of all Schlumberger product lines. She brings over 20 years of experience in oil and gas with both an entrepreneurial companies and Fortune 500 organizations. Celine is recognized for her unique blend of international business, M&A, trade and logistics, legal, global P&L management, experience, and her focus on crafting and implementing disruptive strategies. All to say, Celine has a lot going for her, and we can't wait to dig in. So Celine, thank you for being here. We really appreciate it. I'm so delighted to finally join both of you in this different environment. Obviously, you can see I couldn't find the back screen, so <laughs> I'm sitting in my bedroom, but I'm so happy to be with both of you today and to make time. I just can't wait for this discussion. Thank you. So let's dig in a little bit. Where are you from? Tell us a little bit about you and what was life like growing up as Celine? So I'm originally from France, if you haven't noticed from my accent, and mm-hmm. I've moved around quite a bit. So my father was originally in the French Air Force and then was in the oil and gas industry. So I kind of grew up in the oil field, I guess, for lack of a better word. And we moved around, you know, every two to three years. So I grew up Europe, North Africa and others. And I think that's, that's really important to highlight because it's really part of who I am. And I come from a family with, with really deep values and principles. And I'll talk about that because I think it's important on how that has helped me navigate my career. 
and those are deeply impacted and really molded who I am and, and, and what I stand for. So I want to share the childhood story just to, to showcase a little bit where I come from and what I believe in. Imagine a seven-year-old in, in North Africa behind a kind of makeshift little counter in her garage. And in this kind of like little makeshift shop, she is selling cardboard boxes, custom made to all the children in the neighborhood. And those cardboard flip-flops were decorated with leftover fabric. So the concept was very simple. Children would come in, we would trace the outline of the foot, and then we would cut the cardboard that glue the leftover fabric. And then you had all of the children in the neighborhood that were walking around with cardboard flip-flops. So you might Wondering why in the world was this seven-year-old really went through this incredible enterprise. And that was really, I think, that's where I want to really talk about our family values. So in principles, we had three key principles, which we still do have that um, nowadays, is think outside the box, the importance of taking risks, and that nothing is impossible. So I come from a family where health is like number one. So we had Instead of croissant and Nutella and all those things, boring apples for snacks. We had bananas, we had whole grain breads. And one of the things that I still love today are those, you know, those little bottles of gummy bears, like Coca-Cola bottles? Yeah, yeah. I decided I needed to make some money in order to go and get my my Coca-Cola bottles. So that's really was the driver for this big enterprise. And that's really showcases... I am, but I think more importantly, the, the values of my family that developed me as an individual and really were the drivers for some very, I believe, successful career so far. I love that story. That's just amazing. You know, it really shows like the entrepreneur spirit that you have. Did that drive you in any way to study something specific in school? Actually, it did. So interestingly enough, I mean, obviously, I, was, I have a very international background and I, I grew up in different countries. and this whole appreciation for different cultures, for diversity, different ways of thinking, mm-hmm. which allows you to push the boundaries at all times, to challenge mm-hmm. status quo. But I decided to study is originally business. So I went to the European University in Brussels and then studied in the UK and Germany. And that provided really a good foundation for a diverse understanding of the business world and really allowed me to, to start traveling and be international and meet a group of people with international ways of thinking. What was your first role? Like what was your first job out of school? And was it in oil and gas? Or did you not want to go in oil and gas because your dad was in it? You know, it was not purposeful, but I ended up in oil and gas. And I took a huge risk. So most of my peers at school decided to go and work for a corporation for consulting firms like EY and so on and so on. And I was actually recruited by a privately held French trading company in oil field equipment. And I was asked to to Houston, actually. So imagine I was 23 years old joining this definitely male-dominated in the 90s industry Mm -hmm. and started trading, you know, actually WKM Valve, some of the, the products that we had on the Cameron side and started traveling. And the reason why I took this risk, it was very purposeful. 
instead of going in, in a big company where you're slotted and you're in a specific department, mm-hmm. I'll need to really add a lot of tools in my tool belt by doing management, by doing finance, by doing sales, by strategies, you know, how we, we, we would penetrate new markets in really getting a wide variety of products that allow me to understand various aspects of the oil and gas industry. And that's been really instrumental and incredibly foundational, but it was a big risk. I moved away from, from the traditional career, I guess, for lack of a better word. You know, a lot of people struggle with having that strength to enable to not follow like what their friends are doing. For instance, you mentioned a lot of your friends were possibly going to larger corporations where they feel a little bit more comfortable. There was a great training program, like they had steps they could follow. And here you, you took this huge risk. You, you traveled all the way to Houston. What kind of advice would you give to those who maybe feel like the position that they're about to encounter, they're not like maybe fully qualified for, or maybe they feel uncomfortable about? What kind of advice could you give to those people? So, you know, I was thinking about this the other day, and I think there are a couple of things that I would advise is, first of all, what is your purpose? What, what is, think about, you don't always know exactly where your career is going to go, but you should have a deep understanding of what drives you, what your purpose is. And I'm going to keep on talking about that throughout this discussion, because, you know, it goes from what drives you, how you manage difficult managers, how do you go about, you know, balancing work-life balance, which we'll talk about that later. But, but those things are extremely important. So first of all is be purposeful about your brand. What are you known for? I know I was known for, you know, being strategic, challenging status quo. And I was very purposeful to take roles and or projects that actually showcase that brand or that strength that I have in my view. So take roles, take projects, be purposeful about those roles and projects that showcase your brand, who you are. Be vocal about the position that you're going after. You know, don't assume people know for sure. And then make sure that you network. You network with people within, you know, your department or where you are, but also outside. And Marcel, obviously, you're very good at it. And (laughs) I want to commend you for that. And that's, and then, uh, Jamie, you're equally good at it. You're a fantastic woman. You know, you, you go-getters and you created this podcast. And that creates visibility. It, it strengthens your brand and who you are. And that's the same principle you should be using when you maybe are thinking you want this position, but you may think you're unqualified. But by sh- taking roles or projects that showcase specific strength mm-hmm. or specific skills, that are necessary for this position and you're purposeful about it and you network and you showcase the successes that you've had and how it positions for those roles, then it's going to happen. I believe it. Can you share a personal experience when that happened to you where you took a role that maybe you were the most scared of? (laughs) Yeah. So in addition to business, I also have legal background. So I'm a lawyer as well. So at the time, I was the chief compliance officer for Cameron International, but, you know, started with a business background, fell into the the law side. And actually, again, it was purposeful to strengthen my skills in uh, complex financing and cross-border transactions and things like that. But what happened there, so 
obviously it was it would be very odd for somebody in the legal side to suddenly take over a business or a division, which is what happened. Mm-hmm. I was offered the first as the first woman to run a, a global division for Cameron International. And the reason this happened is in every single one of my roles, specifically the one as chief compliance officer, I showcased my creativity, challenging status quo, my ability to impact and positively change cultures, my ability to align people around a strategy or a vision. And that specific division that I was appointed to run was very successful, but came from acquisitions of small companies. They were very siloed and didn't really fit within one culture. So while very successful, they could not integrate those those bits and pieces of that division. So I was selected. And even though I was like, look, there are a lot of people with a lot of business experience and are aligned for those staff to run those type of division, I kind of questioned myself at first. It was difficult. So I'm going to have to sharpen my business skill set. And I reminded myself, the reason why I was chosen for this is because they want me to focus on breaking down the silos and creating a two-one division. And I had been able to demonstrate that as part of my brand in my other positions. So don't doubt yourself. Figure out what are you stands for and why were you given that position, even though it's unsettling and it may be scary, but actually that's when you perform your best. I love that. That's such great advice. It reminds me of when Jamie Butler said about how she took over a role very similar. And it sounds like the attributes are, are very similar in both of y'all and how y'all you know, overcame this and took this position and then ran with it. It's very, it's very inspiring to hear that. And it actually shows that what you're saying and what she said too is in line and it, and it works. Like that is 100% true. <laughs> which is amazing. You know, through those positions, I'm sure there had to have been a time where you might have had, quote unquote, a bad manager. And I know that there's a lot of people that, that deal with that on a daily basis or might be dealing with that right now. When you face this kind of challenge, how did you deal with it? And like, what's the best way or best advice you could give for somebody who might be in that same circumstance? So, you know, I think there's three or four areas you should focus on. Someone, somebody needs to focus on. And I did go through this experience and it was really, really tough. And, and you feel you're doubting yourself even more. You feel like, you know, you can't win. But, you know, thinking back, there are three or four things that I did. And the first thing is, this is a bad manager and this is fantastic because you're going to learn what you should not do. <laughs> mm-hmm. I okay. love that. Yes. <laughs> perfect showcase. You're going to learn from the world and you're going to allow yourself to understand what you should not do. Okay, so that's number one. Great opportunity to learn from the worst. Number two is you need to understand where you're going, where your professional journey is going. What are your goals? And how are you going to be able to showcase? Number one, what are your goals? And this position, this bad manager, focus on the positive. What are you going to be able to learn, even though you have a bad manager, that strengthens and that puts you and continues on that track of that journey that you're going on? That's the number two. Focus on what where you shine and where you excel. So that, you know, keep on showcasing what you're good at. Okay. And that also will make you feel better. Number one. Number three, 
stay focused on, again on your journey and your goal. So thinking long-term rather than this current situation mm-hmm. is going to allow you to not get into the mode of doubting yourself and getting caught in this toxic environment. Network, continue networking, showcase the successes that you've had in this specific position under that bad manager. So don't stay, you know, kind of within that bubble, that toxic bubble, mm-hmm. sure that you market yourself and you show that the successes that you've had. And so those are really important. And it's, you know, it's interesting because I stayed with that manager two and a half years or so. Oh, wow. And I got a review with this manager. And by the way, I knew I was going to outlive him. And in my last review, and I took this as an incredible compliment, he said, you are the most resilient person I have ever met. <laughs> so, you don't no. give up. You didn't quit. Yeah. yeah. No, no. But those are the type of things that are important because I learned, I, I became stronger. I became much more purposeful and, and really anchored on where I wanted to go and also anchored on the fact that I would never be a manager with this with this. Mm with the traits that this manager was showcasing. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. And I think anybody listening to this podcast is probably, you know, could see the picture of their band manager in their brain because we've all had it and we will all have one at some point, you know, not everybody's oh, yeah. perfect. And I think what you said is true is just focus on yourself and your performance because that will outweigh no matter what they think about you. Mm-hmm. You're still going to shine. You're going to be bringing in the successes and no matter what that person thinks of you, even though they want to maybe put you down and not want you to keep succeeding, if you are and you're showcasing that value back to the employer, you're going to win eventually. And like Celine said, you'll outlast them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so one thing that's really interesting about you, I would call you quote unquote, a superwoman when it comes to just everything that you juggle. You have several diplomas. You not only studied in business, but you also went back and did a law degree. You studied at Harvard. You have an amazing career. Like, first of all, what's the magic, you know, potion? What do we need to do? And also with that comes a lot of, you know, career life, family balance. How did you manage that? You know, it's a really interesting question. And I might to shock you with my response. I don't believe in work-life balance. I believe in alignment with your true north or your true purpose. And once you're aligned with your true north or your true, what drives you when you perform at your best, then you're automatically balanced with yourself. And it doesn't matter whether people think, you know, you're imbalanced with under specific criteria. But to me, that's the secret potion. I knew what I wanted to do. So, you know, I went to law school at night working full-time for this trading company and it was definitely not that pleasant. And then I decided I needed to strengthen my skill sets and I went to Harvard to strengthen my business skill set. But yes, it was tough, of course, and it takes a lot of time and you have the time pressure. But at the end of the day, whether you decide to do, you know, a bunch of studying and, and going to for a different diploma, or you decide, you know what, I just want to go part-time and raise my children, it's, it's, it doesn't really matter. It's are you balanced with your true north, with yourself, mm-hmm. what drives you when you perform at your best, when your strengths are perfectly aligned with who you are. And that's really, to me, that's the secret potion because you don't feel guilty. 
I know Macy and I can totally relate to that as far as, you know, we get told all the time that we work way too much, especially with the podcast and everything that we do outside of just our work. And for us, we, we love it. We enjoy it. Like we don't feel like we're working. And, and anytime I want to add something to my plate, like I was recently looking at certificates that you can get through Harvard, you know, that what I hear from other people is, oh, you don't have time for that. What do you mean I don't have time for that? Like, yeah. if it's what I want to do, then I will make time. Like, this makes yeah. no sense to me, you know? Yeah, no, I agree. And people, like like Celine said, you kind of just have to focus on yourself and what your balance is and not what other people's expectations mm. are on you. Because I think we all deal with that where even my mom sometimes is like, you and your husband just work so much and like, you know, like that's not healthy. And like, how about, you know, family and all this stuff. And I'm like, I'm looking into my life and I'm like, we're so happy. Like, I don't know what to tell you. We just enjoy working. This is a good period in our time, but people looking from the outside think that that's unbalanced and unhealthy, but nobody knows you and like what, what your purpose and what your values are. So I totally agree with you. Just yeah, there isn't really a balance because a lot of people ask about that. You know, what is the work-life balance? And it's, it's your balance. That's it. Absolutely. It's what drives you. Mm-hmm. What, you know, what drives you. And I think everything will align around that. Well, I'd like to touch on something that you were a part of when you were in Canada. So you were powered by women in Canada that focused on bringing a positive image for the oil and gas industry. Can you tell us about that movement and what you were trying to start to change the public image? Oh, yeah. I'm passionate about this. <laughs> it was a unique experience when I was in Canada. And actually, I think we have a secret sauce that we need to bring, you know, to other countries, to the U.S. So as we know, you know, our industry in general is, is under attack. And, and obviously, specifically in Canada, where, you know, there were a certain movement that prevented the construction of pipelines and others. So it's been, it's been a real struggle. And what we witnessed is a lot of organizations, you know, oil and gas related associations, were creating their own messaging, were trying to counter either those attacks or this trend that is definitely not in favor of industry from a general standpoint. And what we notice is that, you know, most of those organizations are led by men. And the messaging was very cerebral. It was like very mental, data-driven, engineering-focused, and not really impacting. So a lot of money, a lot of effort, very small impact. So we kind of rolled up our sleeves with a few women and created a a group called Canada Powered by Women and 40-plus executives in Canada. And the focus is very simple is how do we change the narrative by touching the heart of the general public Mm. about our industry? And touching the heart is what the general public wants. They want to connect with their heart, with their feelings. And so what we did is we had millennials, we had a lot of various people from different backgrounds, from women who are ranchers, we had millennials. And what we did is started the discussion, used Instagram, ask very simple questions every day that to engage the dialogue with women who are nurses, women from all background, and we used influencers. So we used influencers mm-hmm. to start the conversation. So we started reaching out to thousands and thousands of women and people in a very non-confrontational, open dialogue, 
touching the heart said, you know, what are you most worried about is taking my kids to hockey Oil fuel cost a lot of money, putting food on the table and starting connecting the dots. And it was extraordinary. We got so much traction to the point that you had most CEOs in town who said, you know what, we haven't been able to do it. You as a group have had more impact in a few months than we will ever have. And that just shows you the power of women of this industry, the passion that we have for our industry. The, the, the positive movement that we can have and strengthening and deepening the understanding of who we are. And I have, there is a quick story that I wanted to share. So I, I had a sweatshirt that's called, I love Canadian oil and gas. And I went to British Columbia. And for those who know British Columbia is very anti-oil and gas. And I got stopped by this lady and says, you know, how dare you wear this, this sweatshirt? And I was like, look, I, Let's talk about it. And she said, you know, this is you're destroying the environment and all those things that you, you hear on social media. And I said, look, I absolutely agree with you. I said, let's just take, let's just kill the industry and let's, let's just start all over. And she looked at me, she was like, oh my God. <laughs> I might be talking to a crazy woman. <laughs> and so I said, look, let's, let's start the discussion. I said, you know, you're wearing Lululemon pants. Let's just take them on because that, you know, <laughs> you're wearing tennis shoes. You have a cell phone. Oh, you just used a big SUV. How did you come here? So all those that kind of make her aware of her dependency on this industry. And then I said, look, you know, I don't want to be confrontational here, but let's have a normal conversation here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To address this. I mean, you have third world countries where people need to be, be brought out of poverty and, you know, this industry is core to that. So all those things. And at the end, we had such a fantastic conversation that resulted in her was like, okay, I'm going to join your Canada Powered by Women for <laughs> Educated. And, this, you know, those touching the heart, having a good conversation rather than having statistics is what drives, you know, the, the general public. And this is what we need to do as women, I believe. I think we should start that in Houston when you get back. <laughs> Immediately. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I agree. And I think like, like we've always said is people just have this negative perception of oil and gas and they think we're the devil. But like you said, no one realizes how dependent they are on this industry. And that, like you said, okay, give me back your pants. Give me back your shoes. Give me your cell phone. How did you get here? How do you give me your computer? Give me everything basically that you use. And then people are like, oh, wait, we actually love oil and gas, you know? So I definitely think, and I think what, what's really interesting about that group that you guys started is like you said, most, most of the time it's stats. Oh, look at what we're doing. Numbers, numbers, very engineer mindset. But like you said, it doesn't touch the general public. Mm -hmm. How you speak to people is usually, like you said, you connect with them heart to heart. So I think that's a super cool movement. It's kind of sad to see that there is, I haven't heard of any more of it, you know, in mm-hmm. other countries or even in the U.S. But well, we're going to do it, ladies. I'm down. I'm 100% yeah. in. <laughs> <laughs> totally. So, Celine, I know, like you, we've all heard on the podcast, you've, you've had an incredible career. You're now VP here at Slumberjay for BP. And what advice would you give any young females, you know, who are kind of making their way through their careers and definitely uncertain with the future because of, you know, with this downturn and also who may be, you know, facing a lot of challenges by a thinking outside the box, being different, having bad managers. 
give us some advice on how we can make it another 10 years because we need it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So my other secret potion, I guess, and that's my personal one. And it's, uh, it's take calculated risks. And it's kind of going back to my family, my family values and principles. Take calculated risks. Take on roles and projects that make you uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. The minute you're comfortable, you're not really showcasing what, showcasing what you're capable of. So that's the first thing. Be purposeful about those type of projects, all right? Challenge status quo. Even though, again, it may be very uncomfortable, you need to do it in a, obviously, respectful manner and a thoughtful manner. But challenge status quo because I think this industry is changing rapidly, in my view, and continuously challenging this industry or yourself is what we need to do. And, and that's going to, again, is it aligned? What, what do you want to showcase as your brand? The fact that you can take risk and take on bigger roles, that you can manage that, that you can leverage team or people around you, challenging ta- status quo. So you are a leader in a sense by looking at other opportunities. So that's another thing. Again, focus on your personal brand. What do you stand for? When you ask people what you stand for, does the same answer come across Mm. people around you? What do they think you stand for? And if there's complete alignment between what you think your personal brand is about and what people see you as, then this is fantastic. It's not aligned. You might need to to regear. And that personal brand is important because it might help you navigate through your personal journey. You maybe you know, want to be the CEO or you may want to be a technical expert. It doesn't really matter. But is, this, you know, is your personal brand aligned with where you want to go from, from a professional journey standpoint? Okay? And then have a board of advisors. And it doesn't have to be your manager. It doesn't have to be somebody high up. Your board, I've always had a board of advisors. People I work with, people from school, personal friends, people I trust. And it is a give and take relationship, by the way. You can't always, you know, take, take, take. You have to give. So it won't, you know, I'm always asked, well, Celine, you know, this whole mentorship thing, how do you select your mentors? You know, don't expect this to happen from one minute to the other. You need to build the respect, the relationship with those people who become ultimately your board of advisors. And that takes time. So you can't just jump in and say, okay, I'm going to say like this person as a mentor, and then let's get on with it. It doesn't work that way. Mm. Board of advisors is critical because they will help you navigate your professional journey. That's great advice. And I love how you touched on the mentor subject because that's a huge thing that we get a lot of questions on. And I think a lot of people think that they can just select somebody, like you said, and they'll be like, okay, this person seems like they know a lot. I want to be my mentor. But a mentor is a lot more than just like that person's success. You do have to connect with them and you have to have that compatibility. And that's what makes a great mentor. So I really like that you shared that. Absolutely. And it's also a two-way, you know, yeah. you're, the, you're, you're also learning from the person you're, that you're mentoring, right? It's a two-way relationship for sure. And, mm-hmm. and you know, the, the last one, so I keep on talking about the true north. By the way, there is a book that is fantastic, that, which is Discovering Your True North by Bill George. And it's, it's basically a deep introspect into who you are as a person, what drives you your strength, your, you'll talk about your crucible, things that make you trip, unpleasant you know, events in your life, a death, a sickness, or who knows what, you know? But understanding 
what drives you, the tr what triggers you, what is your purpose, your true north is critical because again, you'll get perfect alignment. It's going to, you know, through difficult time, you're going to be able to go back to that mission, that true north, that purpose. And that to me is without doing this, without understanding who you are as an individual and drives you. And when you perform at your best, it's very difficult to navigate your professional life. So I really encourage people, and it's difficult, by the way, there is a work that goes with that book that asks very difficult questions and you have to really deep, you know, do some deep dives into your history, your, your personal history. But I think it's a, it's a worthy exercise. That's great advice. And, you know, I'd like to just finish on one last note because I know this is weighing on everybody's mind. With the changes going on in the world due to COVID and the online buying, how do you see oil and gas changing to adapt to this new normal? I think, look, in this gloomy environment, if you haven't figured this out, I'm a glass half full type person. I think <laughs> there are some incredible opportunities for this industry. So I want to no, I mean, obviously we have COVID, we have, we're in a cyclical business, we have, I guess, unflattering image as an mm -hmm. in. There is a EU report that says the following, and I'll read it to you. Younger generations see the industry's career as unstable, blue collar, difficult, dangerous, and harmful to society. So why do I think that this situation is going to really change the landscape and help this industry is, is three things. I think it's going to accelerate our focus on digital. And by the way, we are absolutely behind the eight ball. Hence mm -hmm. why we're seen as a blue collar industry. And mm -hmm. obviously coming from Schlumberger, I would say, oh, contraire, mon frère. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But, you know, as, as an industry as a whole, we're truly behind. So I was talking to some clients the other day, and we obviously with this COVID situation, we can't send as many people. I mean, there is a quarantine, there is difficulty around and the safety of, of, of people. Mm -hmm. So there is an acceleration towards digital and AI that I have never seen before. And that's fantastic because that means we're, go we're going to need, you know, employees with that skill set, that digital skill set, which will change the landscape, the diversity, the mentality, which is exactly what we needed. I think the other piece is, is with the general public and, and our, you know, kind of unfavorable view that this industry has, we as an industry are changing and our focus rapidly towards, and focus towards sustainability and stewardship. And we've done that to a certain extent, but it was, there were programs. Now it's a must. Mm must for this industry to survive. And I know this, you know, coming from working in Canada, I mean, the focus on the regulatory framework that ensure, you know, focus on the environment and others is there. But I think now it's going to be accelerating across the board, across the industry, like, like never before, which is fantastic. This is really, really, really good. You know, I think you know, as passionate as I am about this industry, this situation is going to put sustainability at a complete different level. And then you're going to have, again, you know, less and less people in this industry, but people who are going to be with different skill sets. Again, I mentioned AI, I mentioned digital. And I think it's going to, we're going to be able to leverage the how-to from other industries 
And I think that's what we need to do. So we can't just be like into our bubble. Mm-hmm. The best practices from other industries is, is going to be critical. And I've seen that already started happening. And the last one, which is, I think, also extremely positive. Obviously, I work for a service company. There is a unique opportunity like never, ever before to fully integrate the service industry and the operators. You know, working in our own little bubble is with overlapping investments, overlapping activities, is not serving anybody well. We need to be mutual, mutual, working towards a mutual collaborative value and not, you know, creating those kind of silos between the service industry and the operators. And now you're going to see, especially with the shrinkage of the number of of operators and service companies, Mm -hmm. I believe this situation is going to create a perfect platform for a full and truly meaningful integration between the operators and and the service industry. So to me, it's all positive. I'm really glad you touched on the operator piece because I've been thinking that a lot lately, especially with the downsides, I think, of small equity companies too, just in this environment, maybe being bought up by other larger operators. It seems that having the service companies actually be a partner with the operator, when we get into an instance like this where it's a massive downturn and the service companies are hurting immensely because we basically build, we grow based on operators' growth Mm -hmm. and operators still get money through the production of their oil while we're still sitting here with way too much equipment and we don't have anywhere to push it, that if we were to be one and we were to partner more on that, you would see more of an an alignment when things like this happen. And it seems like it would help the industry as a whole. So I'm, I mean, that's just was a thought that I, I had back in March. And it's amazing to hear you say something similar here today. So we'll see. I think that's pretty exciting, though. Yeah, uh, there are some unique opportunities from, you know, one digital center. Do we all need to create our own digital centers? Do we need to replicate the engineering? Can it be done by one with, you know, with true respect and trust and collaboration? There's so many opportunities out there that are completely untapped. And I think this new landscape in today is, is going to force those positive, head, you know, kind of movements in our industry, in my view. Yeah, no, totally. And on that positive note, thank you so much for coming on today. I'm sure everybody listening is just as inspired as Jamie and I. And yeah, thank you so much for sharing your tips, your valuable experience. It really spoke to, you know, us younger, you know, women in oil and gas kind of looking up to see, you know, what we have ahead. And, you know, I think I think my favorite part of this whole conversation was the balance side and just you don't need to prove anybody anything looking into your life. As long as you're happy and you found your true north, that's all that matters in life anyways. So thank you so much. You've really, it was such a great podcast. I knew this is going to be awesome. And what we'll do is we'll leave Celine's contact below her LinkedIn. If you want to follow her, she puts a lot of stuff out there sometimes on leadership and oil and gas. And hopefully when she gets back, you know, you will all be invited to Houston powered by women, maybe. Yeah. uh, That's a good one. We're definitely interested in, you know, making this happen because like everybody knows, we're all very passionate about this industry and we want to shine a positive light on it. So. Yep. And if you like the podcast, please leave a review and please subscribe because we've got a lot more coming. So thank you. Thank you, Celine. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you. So delighted.